Welcome to this Knowledge Natter by RCBS Knowledge. Here we have friendly and informal discussions with our Knowledge Award champions and those who are empowered by quality improvement in their work. Whether you're a veterinary surgeon, veterinary nurse, receptionist or member of management, quality improvement will and can positively impact your everyday life. Listen and be inspired. Hi Pam, it's great to be chatting to you this morning. It's Clinical Audit Awareness Week here at RCVS Knowledge and we thought what better way um, to celebrate the week than talk to you, our clinical lead for quality improvement and a clinical audit aficionado. So Pam, without further ado, I'm going to fire some questions at you, um, just like you do um, to all of your <laughs> lovely um, interviewees um, and uh, hear what you think for a change, because we know that you're expert in this area. So Pam, how did you get into clinical audit? Hi, Helen. Um, well, it was quite a long time ago. It was um, when I was involved in um, practice standards, but actually it was Veterinary Hospitals Association. So it was a bit before RCBS took over practice standards and um, we were uh, doing something with the standards and we were looking at all this stuff that you look at, like how high do the, does the coving go up the wall and have they got this bit of kit and that bit of kit? But I was really conscious that we're measuring we're, all that. We're looking for all that. But what we really want to know is how people are working in the practice. So that made me start looking at how that there were ways of assessing that and, and really around outcomes to start with. Um, and so that le led me to look at clinical audit um, and start doing some very basic clinical audits in my in my own practice, which I found really interesting. And um, and my nurses in the practice loved it. And, and we sort of went from there. So I sort of learned about it as I, as I went along, I suppose. But that was quite a long time ago. But I'm so glad now to see so many more people in the veterinary profession embracing it. Definitely. It's really taken off, hasn't it, and become something that everybody does, which is amazing. Why do you think it's so important that people do clinical audits, though? Well, I think if you don't measure what you do, how do you know how well you're doing? So it's very easy to become complacent, isn't it, and think we do that great. Or even on the other hand, to think we're not very good at this this particular thing. But um you know, you and I are both involved in quality and improvement. And, and how can we ask practices to improve if they don't know what their baseline is? They need to know whether they need to improve a certain um, area or not. And the way to do that is to measure, because without measuring, you, you without having any data, you don't really know how you're doing. And in a big practice, if you asked, if you asked the vets or asked the nurses a question about even a simple question like how many um, post-op infections do you get or how many animals do you, would you lose under anaesthesia in a year and everybody gives a different answer you don't know if it's all those answers added together or if it's you know um, they're all talking about the same cases so the only way to be sure about those things is to measure. Brilliant yeah absolutely I think something that I found a little bit tricky to get my head around to start off with was the difference between research and clinical auditing would you mind just explaining that for us? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think that the problem is that often when people start to get involved in, research, in, in clinical audit, sorry, um, they actually think, uh, let's do something to find out the best way. Um, so, um, for instance, they might think, let's find out the best way, uh, the, the best anaesthesia to use, anaesthetic agent to use for rabbits by having two groups and doing this and that. Well, that's research. OK, clinical audit is about measuring what you do in your practice and then it may, and then talking to your team, 
finding out why you're getting the results you're getting, if they're not that good, and then making some changes and improving. So clinical audit is all about your own data and your own practice and then making improvements as a result of it. Research is much more generalizable. It's about doing something which then can be applied in all practices. So you might do some, do some research and then write a paper that says all practices could do this. So research is longer term, bigger, more generalizable. Audit is small in your own practice. Research tends to need ethical approval and audit generally doesn't. Um, the, occasionally when you're writing it up, some, some publications might ask, but we have some really good guidelines on, on that at Knowledge. But basically the difference is, as I say, that with audit you're measuring what, what you do in your, in your own practice. I mean, I've had um, colleagues say to me, oh, we want to do this uh, clinical audit and we're going to look, it was in a in a rescue centre and we're going to look at the dogs that come in, whether they've been vaccinated or not, and uh, going to see which have, uh, how long before they start coughing with kennel cough, and then we're going to see, we're going to treat them with three different antibiotics, and I'd like, stop, 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 that is far, far too big, and it's not an audit, it's, it could potentially be a research project, but it's definitely not an audit, so keeping it small and simple is, is the key with clinical audit, I think. Yeah, so bite size, so something that everybody can, can, can take part in in practice, really. Yeah, absolutely. So um, can you give us some advice if somebody's wanting to do an audit? How do they go about doing it? Um, and any top tips that you've got, please? Yeah, well, I think the keep it simple thing is my very top tip. But the, the other thing is to choose something that you can measure, first of all, because it's very self-destroying if you try and measure something that's immeasurable, something that's relevant to your team, talk to your team. And I think that's another really important thing. The team need to be on board from the beginning. Nobody should be doing audit without telling their team they're doing it, because then you get people worrying that somebody's looking over their shoulder and is about to criticise the way they do a bitch spay or, or, or whatever, or they prep for it and op. Um, so I think involve the team, find out what's relevant to the team, what they would think would be a good thing to, to audit. What would make a difference? What if we could make some changes would make a difference to, to the way the practice runs and to everybody's day? So I think that that's the important thing. Something you can measure, something that's relevant, um, something you can measure within a reasonable time frame as well. Um, you don't want something that you're going to be collecting data for months and months because everybody will get bored of it. So you want something quite short um, and where you actually get a result because the really interesting bit Yes, collecting the data is interesting, but the really interesting bit is discussing it with the team and with the people who actually do it, not managers who say this is what we're going to do, the people who actually do it. And they will tell you the real reasons that this isn't happening because that piece of kit you thought was working doesn't work or they haven't got time or or whatever. Um, they haven't had any training. All that will come out in that discussion and then make the changes. So the so I mean, I could. There's so many little things you could start with, depending what's relevant. But, you know, maybe for um, reception team, they may want to do a little audit about um, how many consent forms actually have a, a, an estimate on them, because that's a real source of, well, it's a bone of contention for everybody, really, isn't it? And especially for reception, when the clients come to, re, to pay and then the, it's vastly different than what they thought it was going to be. And there was no estimate on the form. So that would be such a simple thing they could just do looking back over a couple of weeks or whatever. So there's lots of those really simple audits for um, audits around anaesthetic monitoring sheets. Um, I know quite a lot of veterinary nurses have done audits around that or around um, temperature um, during during an op. But anaesthetic monitoring sheets are a really rich source of, of data just to check that these things are actually being done. So you can you can audit processes, you can audit whether you're complying with protocols and guidelines or checklists, um, but you can also audit, out, audit outcomes of surgical procedures. 
Brilliant. Brilliant, thank you. And I can hear from you describing the sort of audits that you can do that there's a, a strong link with patient safety here as well. Would you like to sort of talk about that at all? Yes, I think I think there is. I think um, that certainly clinical audit in human healthcare has had a little bit of a, a bad press um, recently about being a little bit bureaucratic, etc. And they do have issues when they have um, people who have to do audits as part of their training, and then they never get to the point of of actually making discussing it or making changes because you haven't done an audit unless you do the reaudit. That's that's the whole. It's got you've got to close the close the loop and do the reaudit. But uh, the reason I think it's important for patient safety is a little bit like preventative medicine generally it's we're looking at things before they cause an issue so we're looking at um you know how for instance the one i mentioned about anesthetic monitoring you're looking at it in advance nothing's gone wrong you're just looking to check how you're doing things then hopefully that's before you have an issue with with some animal um having some some problem during anesthesia so, so i think it is really important um for, for patient safety and it just makes people think about those things and once you start to think about those things all sorts of other issues come up so um, i think it's important definitely the examples that you gave are ones that we could use for small animal practice. Can you give any examples of ones that you've seen um, for large animal practice? That have yes, well? yes, certainly. I mean, you can use, I mean, the principle's the same. The issues with um, with large animal practice and, and to some extent with equine practices for the outcome audits, it can be a bit trickier because you don't often see, the, and it's all right for the small animal ones, you can um, see your, your routine neutering coming back. We didn't mention benchmarking, but you could once you've done that audit, um, then benchmark your data against other practices. Then if you submit it to our national audit, but it's a little bit harder with, with, with equine and farm because often you won't see them. But there's ways around that. You can have farmer reporting. You can have people sending in photos of cesarean wounds post-op or, or whatever. Um, you can do, um, I mean, there's lots of medicine audits that can be done in large animal and small animal practice. You can audit to see that you're complying with, with legislation that actually um, medicines have been um, okayed by a vet before they're handed over to a client. Um, and those things can keep you safe from VMD and PSS assessments um, and make sure you're do, doing a proper job. Um, I know one equine, one brilliant equine practice did an audit of um, off-license consent, um, which obviously in um, even in, in small animal practice, it's a trick can be a tricky issue to remember to get informed consent for um, using unauthorised medicines. But even more so when vets are out on the road and this practice, they were very, very honest and did this audit and um, it was almost zero, their compliance with, with off-license consent. And then the, the nurse who was running it, she just basically, apart from um, doing some training, she also just put forms in the cars and immediately the, the compliance went right up. So it's a matter of thinking what issues are, are, are an issue for them and then um, how they can measure them. Because there's so many, I mean, there's, you know, guidelines around all sorts of things that you might have, lameness guidelines, things like that. Are, are, you, are they complying with, with, with using those? So, yeah, there's, it is more tricky, but it's quite possible. And we've got some nice examples. We've got loads of small animal examples, but we've got some some nice examples of some, uh, a recent one around a caesarean and lambing audit, which is which is really good. Well, I think I think we've uh, done a whistle stop tour <laughs> of, awesome. uh, of clinical audits. I think we just wanted to pop on really and uh, ask you these questions. Um, so uh, thank you so much, Pam. That's been really, really helpful. And um, um, I hope you enjoy listening to it. Yes, thanks, Helen. And I suppose I'm going to have one last say, if that's OK. I think the yeah. main thing with audit is just 
get on with it and do it for people in practice because the only way to learn is to actually do it. Don't wait to be perfect. Just start small, do some little audits and you'll learn as you go along. And use the RCVS knowledge resources as and well. Use because it, I think... Definitely, definitely use the RCVS knowledge <laughs> resources. Definitely. I mean, we've got um, the QI box set has got whole um, series around, around audit with podcasts, webinars, articles. We've also got audit walkthroughs, audit templates, and we've got lots of audit, loads of audit case examples. And the other thing, of course, is once you've done your audit, small or big, whatever you do, um, enter for the knowledge awards. Oh, yes, yes, that would be good too, won't it? We'll get lots of lovely. And we'd like to see different ones as well. You can be inspired by the ones that have been um, submitted previously. So you might want to start with one that you can replicate in your practice. But that might um, sort of inspire people to be novel and look beyond um, these things. And um, another thing that just popped into my head there um, was, you know, when we talk about the joy and work framework, identifying the pebbles in our shoes. This is a fab way to do that, isn't it? And then work through those pebbles before they become boulders so that we can uh, all enjoy what we're doing at work and uh, and iron out any crinkles in our day so that we're offering our patients fantastic quality of care. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Pam. Thanks, Helen. We hope you have enjoyed this recording. Please share it with your colleagues and friends. If you would like to find out more about quality improvement and access our free courses, examples and templates, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcbsknowledge.org.